Well, today I finally have some news to share regarding my my bladder cancer situation. And I'll give you that in just a moment. That and a whole lot more on this weekend edition. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. And I welcome you to the weekend edition of Truth to Ponder. And I'm your host, Bob Bierman. Well, it has been quite a journey these past months, actually for over a year. The first time that I had a a sign that something may be wrong with me and trying to get the medical help needed has been, well, not easy. And many of you that are in my age bracket can understand trying to get to a GP and then to a specialist and what have you. Ever since our healthcare system was radically changed about 13 years ago, it's been a, it's been a real problem. But here we are today. I've undergone two procedures regarding my my bladder cancer. That's what they finally diagnosed. I had blood in the urine on and off for the last 15 months or more. Sometimes the bleeding was so bad, it would lower the important numbers in my blood, making me just exhausted, worn out. If I walked across a room, I felt like I'd taken a 25-mile hike. It has been a rough year. And I want to thank all of you that have been praying for me all of this time, especially when I began to realize the kind of issues we were having. We only figured this out in early November that it was actually bladder cancer. This has been going on for a long time. And we've been kind of in a pins and needles situation for the past two weeks, as anybody would. I've been at such peace about all of it for whatever reason, and, I, and it's really a peace from God that passes all human understanding. I know that so many of you have been praying for me, upholding me, worrying about me, Well, finally, we hadn't heard anything since the last surgery, and which was kind of strange because normally when you get home, you get follow-up phone calls. How are you doing? Any trouble with the catheter? Any problem with this, that, or the other? Nothing. But we just figured they were a little bit busy. Give them time. The pathology report actually showed up in what is called my chart, and There were still questions that I had in reading it because I couldn't tell if this is good news, bad news, indifferent, dangerous news. I mean, there was some, some real questions there. Yet for these past over two weeks, for over two weeks, I just felt peace about all of this. It didn't matter. If my time is up, my time is up. I'm here to serve my Lord I'm here to do this radio program and other ministry for as long as God grants me breath and life on this earth. And I'm thankful for every moment that I get. Well, finally, my wife decided she better call and ask, is there a problem? Why are we not hearing from anybody? Has something gone wrong? And so she got on the phone 
with the medical center we dealt with. And this woman said, let me check. And she did some work, and I'm so thankful. She said, I will have the surgeon call you this afternoon. Sometime between, you know, 4.30 and 5. And so for the remainder of the afternoon, we waited. And I just didn't know what to expect. And finally at about, about quarter of five, the phone rang. And it was my surgeon who first apologized for taking so long to get back to me. He didn't understand what had happened. And I, I know that he has a lot of other patients. I'm not the only person he deals with in the course of any given day. And, and he shared with me his thoughts and where things are and put things in perspective. And I want to share with you as much as I can do and make it easy to understand with where things stand now. One of the things I did not realize until the conversation this week, this past week, is that he's been doing this for a long time. And he said, I've never seen tumors that big in a man's bladder in my life. Which is rather scary sounding. Because normally when they get as big and as plentiful as I had, it's it's normally... Well, you're at a stage where your life expectancy is measured in weeks and months, not years. And yet for some reason, and he was very concerned, there's still a little bit left to get out, but he has taken virtually 95% of all this tumor is now gone. There's a little bit left, and they biopsied around it to, to see if this thing, has it penetrated Beyond the bladder walls, you know, there's several layers. And if you get to a certain layer, it's all over. Right now, it appears it has not done that. And this, when, as he said, when you have, I've never seen a tumor this big in my entire career, ever. And especially one this big which apparently is not threatening your life. And so sometime in the next week or two, we go back for a third procedure. And as he said, this one third time, we hope is the charm. And we can put all of this to rest for a long time to come is what it appears to be. So number one, your prayers are effectual. They're meaningful. God is listening and hearing. And apparently he still has things for me to do. And we're going to get this over with as quick as we can. Because I need I need as much time as I can get to recuperate. I really do. In the middle of all this this past week, I was invited, my wife and I, to attend a conference, I'm not going to give you all the details, but I do attend a conference in in February, toward the end of February. It is for a different church denomination than mine entirely, but I've I've made some very good friends within that denomination, and they and out of the blue, they have invited my wife and I as their guest 
to be at their conference. It's it's in another part of Virginia, about uh, three, four hours from where we live, over a weekend. And, and I really take that as a as a wonderful sign of God's love, his mercy, his power to give me such hope and something to really look forward to. The irony is this is the same group of people that I had contacted when we first moved to Virginia. A little story on the side here. Let me just kind of share this. When we were looking for a house in this area so we could be near the daughter and son-in-law, because as we get older, we need to be near family. Where we have a home in Florida, we really don't have any family, and in the long term, we'll probably have none. And so we need to decide where is the retirement home near family. If we should keep a place in Florida, we'll probably scale something back on the other coast where I have a little bit of family. And it's going to become important over the next 10, 12, 13 years that maybe between now and the time we turn 80-ish, if we're still in good health and the Lord is not yet returned and we can still travel without some kind of weird restrictions, we're trying to make plans for both ministry and and retirement at the same time. I don't plan to fully retire. I'm not going to be in a, you know, my easy chair just watching television and old movies. I'm not I'm not going to do that. I want to be serving my Lord any which way that I can. And so when we were looking for a home here, we were looking within like oh man, like a 5 to you know, about 10 minute, 15 minutes tops from where where the kids lived. And we looked at this one house in this one little neighborhood, and we finally got a chance to get in to see it. It had been an on, on and off the market. It was a good price, but it needed a lot of work. And and I guess the good Lord decided we're not doing that work because we never did get our offer in on time. But, but in that little neighborhood, there was also a church building for sale. It had been for sale for a number of years. It had been used a little bit by couple of community churches it had been a church belonging to this particular denomination that i'll be visiting with later in february it had been one of their churches for many years starting around 1979 and and about eight years ago the church began to age out which can happen with these smaller churches they could never get anybody to come in to really try to build it up and it's kind of in an oddball area in terms of if I if I was planning a church in the old mindset that I did maybe 15 years ago 20 years ago not exactly the place that I would put a church but it thrived there for a number of years and then started to decline now it's a beautiful building uh, doesn't seat that many it's in a very quiet area I could see it also being used for a little after-school program and and maybe even for creating a hub for, for homeschooling, to have a resource center. And it has a small sanctuary, a little bit of, it needs a little bit of work, not much. I think the lighting primarily, there are eight lighting fixtures that are going to have to be reworked. 
heating and air conditioning system are fine. Bathrooms more than adequate. Not very big. Plenty of parking. And, and the Lord has just laid on my heart to do something with that building. And we've talked about this on the program before. You know, I was going to share some news stories today, and I can see that's not going to happen. I think I need to share this project. We learned one thing during the pandemic, as many of you know. Your church can be shut down by government authority rapidly and for long periods of time. What you thought was going to be two Sundays, maybe three ended up in some cases being six months to a year, maybe longer. And many churches have not survived the pandemic. They they ended up closing for good. Others have never come back to their full strength. And many others are still struggling. Church planning, there's still some of that out there. But I also recognize we live in a time of a great falling away. Now, we chronicle that on this program all the time. We talk about a lot of things on Truth to Ponder during the week. Maybe you only hear this program on the weekend. It's also available as a podcast at our website, truththenumber2ponder.com. Truththenumber2ponder.com. You can find out where to hear us on radio and also how to hear us as a podcast. We've talked about the virus. We've talked about the vaccines. It's amazing I was reading an article just, I think it was on Thursday, that was talking about how the narrative about COVID is changing. Slowly, there's a pivot going on. Maybe the vaccines don't work like we thought they would. Maybe this, maybe that. And it's almost like they're beginning to walk back. They can't make a sudden pivot or you'll notice. But they're beginning to walk back and admit many of the things we said on this program were true after all. We also talk about the great falling away. These new terms that have entered into our daily, well, media, you know, the transgenderism and and Pride Month and, and all these things that were never that dominant 15 years ago suddenly are taking front and center stage today. There's a war to to literally indoctrinate our children into things that are an abomination unto God. And many formerly years ago, churches that truly proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ have become woke and broke, as far as I'm concerned. They're broken. Some cases, I think they're not even repairable anymore. They have abandoned the gospel once delivered to the saints. They've invented them for themselves a new gospel, which is not the gospel. Instead of preaching against sin and, and, and calling people to repentance, they celebrate your sin and see no need for repentance unless it has to do with some social justice issue. And we've said it a thousand times on this program. The, many of the mainline churches are dead. They're spiritually dead. They're rotting. There's no life left in them. It's getting hard to find a small group of believers that are not at each other's throats, not having 
all kind of issues or adopting strange and foreign religions. You know, many of these churches are like neo-pagan, in my opinion, now. And so I look at this little church. And so what, what can I do with a little church? Can I get a congregation of 15, 20 people, maybe 30? Would they be blessed? I'm sure they would. But what about the thousands of others around the nation that have no Bible-believing church nearby? Now, now, one thing we learned during the pandemic, a lot of churches struggled to try to suddenly do a Facebook Live or a YouTube or whatever they were, you know, some kind of a, a broadcast. And they get a couple of people at the church and, and they get somebody with a cell phone and they, they, they did their best. The audio oftentimes was hard to hear. What if a church was designed to be a hub? to be a hub to help plant home churches where needed, to have a gathering point, even if it's online, to start with for those that are beginning to look and looking for a church and where they live. You know, I can imagine people in parts of Canada, they have nothing. They may be in the northern part of the country and the churches are few and far between. Imagine using shortwave radio and online and putting together a a church and a service designed to work both for a local group that gathers, but to invite you in where you feel you are really a part to use and and leverage technology for the glory of God. And I've been feeling this coming on even before the pandemic ever came along. Back when I had just your weekend show, just the once a week, I talked about this. How do we prepare the church for the catacombs because I saw issues because of human sexuality, because of transgenderism, pride month and hate speech and all this stuff that swirls around us every day. Where do we find a safe place to go as Christians? We're being pushed out of the public square. So Sure, maybe I'll be using certain platforms for this church to start with, but I'm also developing our own platforms that are not dependent upon the tech tyrants. I don't want to be dependent upon Amazon or Google or anybody that's big. I want my own internet connection, my own servers, secure, where I'm not worrying about what Google thinks today or what Facebook thinks today, or what YouTube thinks today. I don't even think I want to be a part of Rumble or a bunch of the other ones because there's a lot of weird stuff out there on those that I got to be, you got to be careful with all of it. Why not have our own media, our own place where everything is trustworthy and safe? And God has laid that vision on on my heart and on my mind. I really believe that God has called this little ministry to do some big things, but I think he's calling hundreds and thousands of others across the country to do similar things. I talk to people in ministry every week. I have a friend of mine in Texas that is very much being led to do something similar to what God is laying on my heart. 
And I think that is going to be the church that's going to carry us through a time of intense tribulation that is right around the corner. I will not say that it is or isn't the great tribulation. There have been many times of tribulation, intense, dangerous times. And we are on the verge of one right now. So do you believe in what I'm trying to do? Do you see the vision? Number one, I'm thankful to God. The news was good this week. Thank you for your prayers. And I see a future. I can't wait to be among these fellow Christians next month. They kind of know what I'm thinking about doing, and they're kind of behind it. They want to encourage me. Sure, I'm going to rent the building from them to do it. There's going to be some expense. It's like doing this radio program. I like to have more shortwave airtime, not just for this program, but to also put that service on the air as well. Have it as video, have it as audio, have it, has, have it as a podcast, a radio program. Something you can download and play when you can. I know life is difficult. So let me ask this question. As we come to the end of this month, can I count on you to help this ministry grow? We, we've been kind of at this, what's the word? We've been at this plateau for a long time. And I believe the time to do more is now. If we can, if you can help us out, please go to the website, truththenumber2ponder.com. Truththenumber2ponder.com. And if you can help us out, make a check payable to Ancient Word Radio. That's Ancient Word Radio. Mailing address is Post Office Box 510. Post Office Box 510. The city is Chilhowee. C-H-I-L-H-O-W-I-E. Chilhowee, Virginia. And the zip code in Chilhowee is 24319. That's 24319. Now, I've got a little bit more that I'll share right after the break. Stay tuned. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. The Axe Principle, or how to be focused. Shalom Aleichem. This is the nice Jewish boy, Jonathan Kahn. Your Jewish connection bring you the riches of your Jewish roots in Jesus. Now get your pen out as fast as you can so you don't miss out. by receiving a special free gift you're going to get and love in a moment. In Ecclesiastes 10.10, it's a fascinating thing. It says, when the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is required. But with wisdom or skill, you'll have success. Now, simple but profound. You see, you want to, you have a, you have a knife and it's not sharp. Well, you have to use a lot more strength and effort and time and energy to get that thing cut. But the sharper it is, the less time, the less energy, the less strength you need to do it. Not just for knives, but for our lives. See, we could be doing things that are draining you. You could be doing things that are draining you of energy and time and spending so much, putting in so much and getting little results in your life, not being effective or fruitful for God because your ax is dull. We have to become sharp, sharp. You see how? Well, there's a word for that. You know, a sharp edge is a focused edge. It, it converges. In photography, sharp means focused. 
It means you're a sharpshooter. You're like a knife that's sharp. It's focused. It converges to a focus. See, if you live your life without focus, your life becomes dull. You don't accomplish much. You have a lot, you spend a lot of effort, a lot of time and, and burdens and a little return. But if you become focused like Paul, focused on the Lord, he said, I don't do things without aim. Everything is focused on Messiah. He had purpose. Everything in his life was consistent. He wasn't all over the place. He had a point, aim, focus. Everything he did, he changed the world. So you too. Don't live all over the place. Don't live unfocused. Make Messiah the focus of everything. Fix your eyes on him. Run the race. You'll become sharp as a newly cut knife, and you'll be able to slice through your problems like butter. Want more? Ask for Sharp on CD. Now, how'd you like to be plugged into a special line let you know future events, news behind the news, prophecies, updates on Israel, what you need to know as an end-time believer, teachings and strength for every day of your week. How? Uh, well, easy. And also, the Mystery of the Temple Doors on CD. You'll love it. All free. How do you get it? Easy. Just remember Jesus, real Hebrew name, Yeshua, and you dial it. That's it. Just write it down. 1-800-YESHUA. Y-E-S-H-U-A and the number one. You will be blessed, but call now. That's 1-800-YESHUA-1. And I invite you to join me to reach the unreached peoples of the world in the most incredible way from Moscow to Madagascar to Jerusalem. Just call 1-800-YESHUA-1. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A-1. Or write me direct. The Nice Jewish Boy at Box 1111, Lodi, L-O-D-I, New Jersey, 07644. It's The Nice Jewish Boy Box 1111, Lodi, New Jersey, 07644. Till next time, this is Jonathan Collins saying Shalom Anachem. Be sharp, my friend. Be sharp in Messiah. Ehatov, the good and wonderful shepherd. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. And welcome back to part two of our weekend edition of Truth to Ponder. And I'm your host, Bob Bierman. Very thankful host if you listen to the first segment. I'm thankful to Almighty God for what he is doing in my life. And the ministry that he's called me to do, not just with this radio program, but, you know, if you know me, and some people do, I've spent 27 years of my life in ordained ministry. Now, granted, I'm 68 years old. I, I got into ministry in my early 40s. But it is my passion. It is what is most important to me. Look, doing the news... Yes, it's important to give you the stories to show the direction that our world is going. And as I look at this radio program, I've said it before, I'm praying that God raises up a few people to help me in the news part of the program. I need to move my ministry more to teaching God's word in light of the world that we live in. That's my calling. And I need your help to get there. And I believe that we've been doing this now for over 30 months, and we're coming to that point where God is taking this ministry to another level. And I really believe that Truth to Ponder and Ancient Word Radio and what I really see is Ancient Word Media, oh yeah, some video podcast, homeschool resources, all of it. A small ministry with a big impact. And yes, shortwave is still going to be a major component. I really feel that it's one of the most important things we do that other ministries don't. It's a part of who we are. And I don't want to lose that. And that's why I ask for your prayers as we move forward. I'm going to be adding some pages to the website probably next week. I'll let you know when. 
to tell you more about what I call the church project. So look forward to that sometime coming up in about a week. And like I say, your financial support is so needed right now to make all of this happen. If God is laying it upon your heart, you can go to the website, truththenumber2ponder.com, hit the support tab. You can find out how to help us using Give, Send, Go. And it works wonderfully. Or as I said before, you can mail a check to us at Post Office Box 510. That's Post Office Box 510 in Chilhowie, C-H-I-L-H-O-W-I-E, Chilhowie, Virginia, 24319. And make the check payable to Ancient Word Radio. One of the most important things this ministry can do is to lead people to become followers of Jesus Christ. And understanding what it really means to be a follower from a biblical point of view is something that I think many people don't really understand. Long before the pandemic, I had the opportunity of preaching a sermon in Florida to a church. And that was the topic. What does it mean to be a true follower of Jesus Christ? And I think you're going to be surprised when you hear the biblical answer. Here's that message from years ago. Heavenly Father, as we come to you today in this place to learn from your word, Lord, I pray that you open up our hearts and our minds to receive your word, that it may be effectual and make changes within us. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. The word follow, as used in the Gospels and is also found in the Old Testament, is not used that often, especially in the Old Testament. And here's why. The general referencing to a follower in the Old Testament was a follower of a false idol or a false god. Like they were followers of Baal, they were followers of Moloch, they were followers of whatever. And so in the much of the Old Testament, the term being a follower almost has a negative connotation because remember, at that time, the children of Israel lived under the law. And so they were not necessarily followers, they were obedient in the law. Now Jesus comes along and he is seeking those to follow him. Now one of the problems in understanding a Bible in the English is our language in English, as complex as it is, oftentimes can miss a few nuances of other languages. And this is true in the word of a follower. There is a bit of a, more of a distinction. It's not like, and I used, if you saw the webpage, I used that picture of Jesus sitting on a park bench next to this one guy and Jesus going, no, I'm not meaning on Twitter, I mean really follow me. We tend to follow people online. We tend to follow people, if you use Twitter, to hear what they have to say. And in that regard, being a follower is still missing what the biblical definition from the Greek to follow means. A follower of Jesus is outlined so nicely today in our epistle lesson 
where we pick up where St. Paul left off in our discussion last week. And so we start at verse 18. For the preaching of the cross to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are being saved, it is the power of God. Now that's an interesting thing I'm going to get to in a second. I'm going to divide this verse in half. To the world, the idea of following this person makes no sense. It's foolishness. Why would we want to follow Jesus to the cross? Think about that for a second. Why would we want to follow Jesus to the cross? It is because from the cross, we have hope because of the resurrection. So we follow him to the cross. Then we experience what St. Paul says, the power of his resurrection that changes our lives. See, to be a follower in the Old Testament meant a dedication that is huge. I mean, to be a follower of Moloch, remember, once again, you look at the Old Testament references, they almost have a negative connotation. To be a follower of the god Moloch required a lot. I mean, it required the sacrifice of your firstborn. If you wanted to be a follower of Moloch, your first kid had to be burned to death on the altar of Moloch. And so when you follow Moloch, you followed Moloch. Because you would never prosper if you did not follow in obedience. Jesus wants followers just as dedicated to him as those were to pagan gods in the Old Testament. But see, Jesus' message is so different. It is so life-affirming. It is so life-changing. Jesus wants us to give him everything of ourselves. Everything to be his follower. If you remember in last week's gospel lesson, Jesus is now beginning to assemble his followers, his disciples. And he comes to Peter. I mean, they just have finished fishing for the day. But to those that he called, they just left everything behind. It was like, okay, I'm not a fisherman anymore. There's the boat. You all want it? Take it. Everyone that followed Jesus dropped everything. One of the things that Jesus says in another part of the Gospels is, is hard for people to take. And it has been, was a stumbling block for me for many years. Jesus wants people to follow him. And he gives the analogy of those that he calls to follow. And somebody says, well, I just got married. I have a wife I have to take care of. No, you don't. No, you don't. I just bought a piece of land. I need to check on it. No, you don't. No, you don't. Uh, one of my family members died. Let the dead bury the dead. It's a hard thing to understand. But we have to learn to yield those things under his lordship. He's not going to let the dead person lay out there in the street. He's not going to let the land be misused. He's not going to let the wife be ignored, but he wants 
us to follow him first and foremost, then everything else will find its appropriate place in our lives. And see, that was a stumbling block for many when he would say that. You know, I, I, if, you, if you can't f- just follow me, you're not worthy of me. And people are going, but, but Lord, I've got this. To, don't you know I have a job? Don't you know I got a mortgage to pay? <clears throat> don't you know I got a cell phone bill due? Don't you know, Lord? Yeah, he does. What does the Bible say? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things the Gentiles seek. All these things like paying the mortgage, putting food in the table, shall be added unto you according to your need. This is the hard part of the message that Steve started is to understand the depth of following. To really be a follower of Jesus, to really accept his calling, is something that in our own flesh and nature we are incapable of doing. None of us in this room have the wherewithal, the power, or the ability to be that obedient. None of us. None of us. See, this is where the church sometimes forgets to teach a message. What empowers us to be believers is the Holy Spirit dwelling in us to make what is impossible in the flesh possible in the spirit. I believe the day that Jesus walked on those shores and saw those fishermen, the Holy Spirit was already at work preparing them. There was no surprise, I don't believe, when Peter heard those words, when all of them heard those words, they were expecting them. They were prepared to hear what had to be heard. Now let's go to the foolishness of this preaching, as St. Paul calls it, And you see it in today's gospel lesson. We call these the Beatitudes, the blessed are those. And when you look at the message, it's once again, it's it's a message that in our humanness is, it all sounds good, but we tend to say, but it can't be. It's too good to be true. Blessed are the poor in spirit because they'll inherit this, they'll get that. We don't understand that because in our sin-distorted culture, these are objectives of Jesus that don't work. At least in our mind, they don't work. To be a follower of Jesus, truly a follower from the definition as explained in the scripture, requires from us to be able to surrender and submit ourselves and trust. I remember a story that was told years ago. I probably heard this when I was about 10 or 11 in a sermon, and it's one of those things that just stays with you all your life. The story is told about a fire that broke out one night at a home in Long Island two-story house, house is on fire, and there's a young boy upstairs trapped. 
The firemen are yelling to the child to jump out the window, and the child will not do it. He's afraid, and understandably so, until he hears his father's voice. Then the child leaped to his safety. It was the fireman with the net, but it was the father's voice that gave the call. Now, let's tie this together with being a follower. Every one of us here in this room today is here for a reason in God's timing and purpose. Every one of us. For whatever different reason we are here today, God is calling us to bigger and greater and more wonderful things in our life if we are obedient to be a follower. What did Jesus say? We heard this not that many weeks ago about sheep. My sheep know my voice. My sheep know my voice. And they trust me. They trust me. Wherever you are today in your life, you may believe you are a follower and in your heart you are. But have you really laid it on the line, so to speak, to say, Lord, I want to have that ability to let go of everything and let you show me a better way. The Beatitudes in that gospel go contrary to the instincts of the human nature. They really do. They all sound good. They're the most wonderful of all ideals. Yet you look at the world today, 10 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago, and 2,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago, the world has never changed. The same negative things that cause uprisings and wars and disagreements and anger have never changed. They've always been there. That's the nature of the sin of man. We as Christians are being called to follow Jesus into a far superior way which goes against our own nature and sometimes seeming self-interest. To be his follower. I loved how Steve showed it last week, how so many of us, so many that call the name of Christ are fans. Some fans are semi-committed. I think of where I used to live at in South Carolina. That was Clemson country. Believe me, blood flowed orange where I lived. There was no red because that would have been the University of South Carolina and God forbid that we would ever give them any honor. No, we were in tiger country. And everybody in that part of the world becomes a fan. But do they go to the games? Do they watch them all? Do they really, or they just talk about it when it's comfortable and fun? That's being a fan. A follower is the guy that buys the season tickets and travels the country to go to every game. And I thought about that. 
the difference between a fan and a follower. Yeah, you kind of know about it, but are you committed? Are you committed? And some of them up there are. And I'm sure a lot of them were real happy a couple of weeks ago when they, they won and they became national champs for the first time in how many years? I'm glad I wasn't up there to have to put up with that for the next three weeks. I lived in Clemson. I know what it would be like. You never hear the end of it. The point is we are followers. We come to this place to unburden ourselves of our sin and to say, Lord, empower me to follow you to a better life. Empower me to get through these days. I want to be your follower. I want to be in your footsteps. And in the epistles, there's another word used along with follower. To imitate. To imitate. St. Paul explains following as being imitators. We look at Christ and we want to be like him. We want to act like him. We want to have the compassion like him. We want people to see Christ in us as we live. Because you know something? Sometimes we're the only sermon somebody will ever hear or see. It was Nietzsche, the great atheist, that had a great line that I have to agree with. Do not tell me about your Redeemer until you can prove to me you've been redeemed. Think about that. Don't even bother to tell me about your Redeemer until you can show me you have been redeemed. And that's the problem with the church today. I'm going to finish up this sermon pretty quick and share with you something that I have been wrestling with for the last couple of days. My wife probably wonders what goes on in that mind of his, especially as we get closer to Sunday morning. And it all pretty well, I made my decision on one aspect of my life on Friday, as I think you figured out. To be honest, there's a church up in Georgia that would love for me to be their pastor, and I'm not gonna do it, and I'll tell you why. This is a church that are fans of Jesus, not followers. They have their own executive committee. They're going to run it their way. It's their church our way. In everything they're doing in searching for a pastor, I have not seen the word prayer used once. It's all about committees and experts. Guess what? Forget it. If you're not doing it God's way, you're not God's church. You're not followers. You're fans. And so they can call me if they want. The answer is going to be no. Not until you become his followers. I'm not interested because I don't work for you. I am not an employee of a board. I'm called by God. God sends. Churches do not employ. That is unscriptural. And every church that takes the mindset that a pastor is subject as an employee... I've always seen nothing but turmoil, nothing but angst, nothing but trouble, nothing but division. Because you're going against what God demands. And until you can understand that, you're not even a church. You're a club. The church is the body of the living Jesus on this earth. 
It's not a committee looking, what does St. Paul say? Heaping unto themselves teachers that'll preach the message they want to hear that makes us happy. They would never be happy with my message. Believe me. Maybe they need to hear it. But I put that in God's hands. No, this church here will grow because I am more and more convinced today than I ever have been in the year that we've been here. This church has moved from being fans to real followers and I'm watching the change in your lives. I am sensing it and feeling it every day. I am more committed to working with Father Steve to see this place be all that God called it to be because you people became, somewhere along the way, you never realized it, you became followers. From my heart, what a joy that is. No, Steve, you started something when you asked that question and I had to stop and think and put that in perspective of churches that I have been in, attended, worshiped at over my, over my lifetime. And you defined it so well, a fan and a follower. I thank God for each and every one of you here. And I thank God for those that are yet to be here in his time. As we become more like him and take on what St. Paul says, our next step. And this is where I wanted to close in that one verse in the gospel, in the, in the epistle. For those of us that are being saved, the King James says saved, but the actual nuance is those that are being saved. And I need to explain that so it's not complicated. In many Protestant circles, we think about the moment we got saved and it's a done deal and it's finished. Jesus Christ is the author and finisher of our faith. Salvation, from the time we accept Christ, we have, we have that hope of eternity with him. But salvation is still a process on this earth. We are still not perfected. We still have a lot to learn, a lot to do. Being saved is not the be-all, end-all. It is the beginning of a new life on this earth and in the life to come with him. We grow daily in his word is what the Bible teaches us. We grow deeper in his grace. So yeah, salvation is a never-ending process. I don't care if you got saved when you were five or 50. It's still a process that never ends to the day we're called home. What does St. Paul say? We see through a glass dimly. But when we shall see him face to face, then it'll all be clear. And we will understand the process that we've gone through. Amen. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Turning back, no turning back. The world behind me 
times I find it hard to believe that it was literally 50 years ago, a little over 50 years ago, that I was on a spiritual journey of sorts. I've been raised in a Christian home, a Christian family, went to a Christian school, went to church every Sunday, but I was seeking more. I was trying to find out more about this Lord, this Savior, this God that redeemed and loved me. 
I wanted a deeper walk. I can remember visiting churches and going to places and retreats and and what have you to seek more of God in my life as a young guy, as a late teen. And so much of what I learned in that process, even though there was a period of time in my life I was so busy with my career and being on the radio, I forgot all about the things that were important. But there was a foundation laid in me I never saw. At little churches in the southern tier of New York, in South Carolina, places like Love and near Ithaca. I can think of a lot of places, Pinecrest in Long Island, where I learned more about Jesus, more about his Holy Spirit, and more about his calling on our lives. It took a person like me till I was literally in my late 30s before I surrendered to the call. Oh, I've been working for a Bible college building their radio ministries for years. I thought I had it all, but God had more. And I look where my life is now. I've been through a lot these past years. I I lost a first wife to cancer. I had a period of time where life was just in turmoil. But even in all that turmoil, God never abandoned me. And amazingly now, here I am at a point in life when most people hang it up and go fishing. I want to do more. That's why I keep coming back to you to pray for me. I'm hoping God brings more people across my pathway to grow a little ministry that will have an impact, not just in a small community in Southwest Virginia, but maybe the Southeastern United States, maybe all of the United States, maybe Canada, Caribbean, wherever God opens the door. I'll be posting some pages, hopefully next week, about the project. But right now, I want to let you know the month of January is almost over. We're coming into a new month. We need to stay on short wave. I want to see this ministry grow. If you can help, please. You can make a gift from the website truththenumber2ponder.com. Truththenumber2ponder.com. You can email me direct. Let me know what you think. Bob at truththenumber2ponder.com. Please send emails. I, I love hearing from you and know I'm not going to put you on an email list. Or you can make a check payable to Ancient Word Radio, mailing address Post Office Box 510, P.O. Box 510. The city is Chilhowie, C-H-I-L-H-O-W-I-E, Chilhowie, Virginia, 24319. That's zip code 24319. This has been Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. To find out more, visit our website, Truth, the number two, and the word ponder.com. That's Truth, the number two, ponder.com. Truth to Ponder, shining the light of truth in a darkening world.